Hello, welcome to the Total Clarity Podcast. I'm Jesse Hyatt. And I'm Mike Varley, and welcome to week 38 of our 52-week walk around New York City. This week, we were walking a special movie walk. We did a walk where we went to all, not all, we went to some of the locations of the Royal Tenenbaums film by Wes Anderson. That's right. We did a bunch of Manhattan locations. We actually did a bunch of Brooklyn locations. And we didn't do it alone. We have a guest this week, Mr. Ramsey S. Ramsey is a dear friend, a longtime friend, as you will soon find out. And it was great to reconnect with him after a prolonged time not talking. Yeah, and it was great. This longtime friend was a longtime friend of Mike's and a new friend for me. So it was great to meet Ramsey really properly tonight on the digital medium Zoom. Yeah. We had a nice conversation. We talked about the movie. We talked about friendship. We talked about New York. We talked about the locations of the movie, Wes Anderson films in general. We talked about our feelings about media, different types of media. And uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's all right. I think I've told you enough. That's so right. I think uh, we did. Heads up. If you haven't seen the Royal Tenenbaums, there's a couple moments where we did spoil things. That's right. There are some spoilers. So if you haven't seen it and you're mad at spoilers, pause here, watch the Royal Tenenbaums, come back and listen. That's Otherwise, right. here, this is just so that we can't say, you can't say that we didn't warn you. That's right. And if you're just here for the juice, the Royal Tenenbaums episode content, you could skip a half hour in. We're giving you like a roadmap for how to listen to this episode. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it because no, we I had a good time. First, I think the first half hour was relevant to everyone, regardless of how much you are excited to hear the Royal Tenenbaums content. But you're right. If you're like, re I mean, I guess, yeah, if you're really itching to, to get straight into the movie, skip ahead and then come back and listen to the first half later so that you really get the whole picture. We'll put a treasure map out on uh, the links below so you can just skip to minute 48, 52, 107, 18. I think I'm hitting all the beats there. Those are the beats. Yeah. But in the meantime, please enjoy our time with Ramsey S. Ramsey, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, we were thinking from the very start of this project that we wanted to have you on for this particular episode. Or I guess when I say we, I mean me. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we have been, but because Mike said my friend Ramsey is going to be perfect for this episode, and so I've been thinking, great, Mike's friend Ramsey is going to join us. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I know you just introed me, but uh, I do have this prepared. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and this is exactly demonstrative of why we wanted to have Ramsey on because <laughs> he brings it. He brings it every time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, uh, you know, we did a, a little chatter uh, before we started, but uh, I don't. Uh, you, you two have actually met once. I don't know if you. I don't know if you would recall or not, but your thirtieth birthday. Which is also the last time I saw you. Is I'm that true? Sure. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I don't <laughs> okay. know how. I don't know how that that had actually happened, but you were. I think was it at Halyards or it was at a bar. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I lived on Eleventh and Third in okay. Gowanus, and I think it must have been when we had just first started dating, and 
Mike was like, oh, I'm going to this birthday party down the street. So we went. And I know that we met, but I don't <laughs> really remember anything about the evening except that, like, I remember seeing your face and saying, hi, happy birthday. <laughs> and, <laughs> and depending on how really late all. it was, uh, I might not remember anything. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's totally fair. As your is your right. Birthday. As a 30th birthday yeah. person. Or that's any right. birthday or really any, any time. Any whatever. day. Any As day. Right. As <laughs> right as a human. <laughs> But, yeah. but it is nice to re-meet you in this strange digital format <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, in, not in a dark bar. It's, it's equally confusing and, and different, but, but I think we'll remember this one a little bit better. I think so, too. And we'll have several uh, records of it as well. Exactly. In both audio and video. That's exactly. Right. If our memories fail at any point, we can always <laughs> just go back and relive it. Yeah. Check it. But um, I do. It is kind of a good thing that I'm not there in person because I might definitely clash with your curtain. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's just a be... floating head. Yeah. I mean, you are already I think kind you are of floating, floating head, head in our, from our view. But <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah. a very nice suit. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I believe the inside says Ramsey S wore the suit. Oh nice. my gosh! <laughs> nice. I love that. Really what was nice what hat. was the occasion, or how did how did you get that? Um, I, this would have been about maybe two or three years now. Uh, I decided for a new year's resolution, I'm going to start dressing better. Uh, and so at work, I pretty much wear a suit most days now. Uh, just sort of like steadily once every six months, there's this, uh, Indochino is this suit mm -hmm. making company that, uh, is surprisingly good quality for not a lot of money. And yeah. so I just kind of steadily build up built up my uh, wardrobe and uh, I haven't put on a suit uh, in a year now since wow. the pandemic started Yeah, because um, I can get away with just wearing a button-up shirt from right, home. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's that's why I have this nice Wes Anderson e-suit. Yeah. Amazing. So uh, for the folks at home, uh, you work uh, at and like how, how did your, your, I don't want to give it away, but how did your co-workers receive it or how did your compatriots? I don't know what they <laughs> Um, oh, the the New Year's resolution? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was funny. At first, people thought I was leaving my office because I was going to, he must be going on a job interview after yeah, work. Yeah, um, So over time, it was just like, oh, that's the suit guy. Uh, yeah. and it, it just, everybody got used to it. And yeah. now I don't think anyone remembers that I would just walk around with an untucked button-up shirt all day. So. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of just became me. And nice. what I don't think I know, because as everyone knows, we we are just meeting. Um, what is the job that you were wearing this suit to? Uh, I'm a high school teacher. Okay. Wow. Yep. So how did the, I guess the students were impressed or has it changed? Like, I mean, of course, now we're all digital, but right. did it change any of their outfits? Like, did any Ooh. of your students start dressing nicer too? I don't think anyone stepped it up um <laughs> once in a while like uh it happened at least once that um that one student would dress as me for halloween because oh. uh, all you have to do is put on the suit you have from a wedding <laughs> uh so that that was definitely nice um but i do get a lot of like oh mr s is fancy like those sorts of comments <laughs> uh and i always just spin it of like well i i dress it because i like to respect you guys that Aww. sort of thing that's so nice. turn it around on them. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, one of the things I was saying before we started the podcast as well, I, and the fact that, uh, you know, we haven't seen you since your 30th birthday, and I won't say how many years out of, out of respect, uh, <laughs> but it's been a number of years. And we've known each other uh, for long enough that, um, you know, The Royal Tannenbaums was uh, a relevant film. You know, when we knew each other, <laughs> not that it's unrelevant now, but you know what I mean. Like it was yeah. uh, culturally, uh, you know, impacting things. Um, but, you know, we're doing this project where we're walking around New York City. And um, so the the all three of us happen to be people that have moved here and now lived here for 10 plus years. You know, we have our chip, mm -hmm. you know, and I. I think that now that we've all lived here long enough, I know that now that I've lived here long enough, it's interesting to start seeing the type of relationships uh, like the one I have with you where, um, you know, people come and go out of your life and it, you, you can't always necessarily pinpoint why it is that those things happen, you know? Uh, right. And I, you know, we went to your 30th birthday and I had no anticipation that that was the last time I was going to physically see you in, you know, X amount of years, but it, it just happened. Yeah. and. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if, uh, I mean, I guess I could go around the room and then the other room uh, <laughs> about, you know, these types of things where you, you have one set. It's like super college. You have one yeah. set of people you know when you get here, and then it evolves into a totally different way. Yeah. I mean, I have a thought that I, it just came to me right now, and I don't know. I'm going to say it, but I don't know. I'm not, like, staking it down because it just came. But there's something to this where... It feels kind of similar to knowing that there's a really awesome museum in the city that you can kind of like visit any time. And you might get an email that's like, this museum is having a really great exhibition and it's going to be on for this short amount of time. And you're like, yeah, I'll, I'll go to that. And then you like don't, but you think you will. And you're like, well, I'll catch it the next time. And then before you know it, you're like, shit, I haven't gone to my favorite museum for like 10 years. I can't believe it. I almost feel like it's like that with some of my long-term New York relationships where it's like every time I see this person, I'm like super psyched. And anytime I get an invite, I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. But then you just get like, I don't know if I love this analogy because I don't I feel like part of the museum thing is that I take it for granted that it's here. And I don't feel that way about like the really cool people that I know. And I don't want to put that on it. But I kind of like it because I also think it's kind of fun. And there's <laughs> something to that where it's like we have all this awesome stuff around us. And right. the time just goes because there's so many cool things to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I and I was just talking about the Muppet exhibit at the uh, Museum of the Moving Image that I still haven't seen. Oh. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> I helped kickstart that thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, I I'm thinking a lot about. Um, for me, I think the biggest change in our specific friendship is uh, I moved, uh, and we were a lot less close, even though we're still in Brooklyn. And right. it's not, not that far, all no. things considered. No. I have a, I have a car. Yeah. <laughs> You're on my way to work. Uh, but or actually, have you moved? I don't know. Yeah, I probably. I mean, wait, but but five years ago. So, I, you know, like, I mean, we. Man. I used to, if you're referring, the location you're referring to is the, the, the place I used to live with Mark and everybody, like, at Bushwick and Metropolitan. No, I don't live there anymore. But now I, <laughs> I live uh, off the Wilson L or the Chauncey J, you know. So, like, uh, yeah, the farther down. But, yeah, not I mean, we're, it's, not, it's not that far away. 
you know? Yeah. So the point still stands. I mean, it's, yeah, it's wild. And it's weird that, like, it's it's not that far. Like, no. on a nice day, it's walkable, as you guys could do. Yeah, yeah, as demonstrated. Yeah, yeah. I. It's just, it's weird. It's how, how things pass through. And, um, you know, I mean, there are also those situations where things go sour and then you don't interact with people and, you know. That's a We're, different the, type the of museum's thing. The museum's mad at you. Yeah, well, right. yeah, yeah, which has happened, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I won't name names, I, but uh, <laughs> Whitney. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I do think, like, part of it is, I, I like the that analogy a lot because it's like, at any point, I do know, like, that museum's out there. I'm going to mm-hmm. see that museum again. It's right. just I keep forgetting to go or yeah. keep I haven't I haven't re- reached out to get my tickets. Yep. Right. Well, and uh, to that point, I mean, the last time we had talked to you or I talked to you prior to telling you about this podcast was actually a year and two weeks ago, maybe, mm-hmm. because we were talking about doing our project release party or like our kickoff party. And you were like, yeah, sure, I'll come. And then uh, it was, was like, yeah, it was like, OK, well, um, you know, there's a certain pandemic coming through. It'll only last a couple of weeks. But, you know, <laughs> I don't think we should do uh, a project release party right now. And, you know, that was that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just it's wild. I mean, it, I, I guess that I guess part of it, too, is like, you know, I started the job at the video game company, mm-hmm. which more or less coincided with your 30th birthday. So there's just kind of this whole chunk of time where. Uh, you know, a life change as big as that just deviates you into a different place, you know? Yeah. that. So I kind of forgot about the party. I remembered um, getting drinks with you yeah. at, at the uh, Italian restaurant next to that apartment. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and that was right as you had started there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, damn. Well, yeah, maybe this is getting too insidery at this point. Oh, sorry. Yes. No, no, no. I mean, no, no, no we're is... catching up, listeners. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, folks. Yeah. I mean, has I think ever, anyone listening has had a catch-up session with a friend at some point can definitely relate to this conversation. So keep I'd, it going. I, I'd like to believe that, and I'd like to. I, and as I said, I think that it's it is a maybe not uniquely New York, but uniquely metropolitan area type situation where it's like if you live if we lived in a small town. We would almost either we would have some sort of acrimonious fight or we would be seeing each other. There's just no yeah. right. like even if it were just incidentally at the supermarket or something. But There's nothing uh, else to do. Yeah, right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> but but here that's not the case. And I guess I mean, I think that's um, one of the nice parts about living in a major area is that, yeah, the museum thing is is really apt because it just feels like there is a bounty of mm-hmm. uh, of accessible things to do and people mm-hmm. to interact with. And uh, it's just always feels nice to have it all on hand, you know? Yeah. And, and I like the part of it, like, that's, it's an institution that Guggenheim is not going to move. It's okay. going to be there. So, like, I can always return to it. Right. Right. Well, that's, yeah, that's sort of, that's why I like that word, too, because it's not just like, oh, there's a pop-up shop that's right. opening for a couple of weeks or something, your transient friends. But, yeah, it's like the... The relationships that you that you know that because what I know of the two of you, you've spent enough time with each other prior to sort of the last however many years it's been that you know that you've created this institutional bond that you can always go back to. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, Facebook agrees. Uh, I wasn't (laughs) I wasn't going to bring this up necessarily, but just this week. I received one of the Facebook memories, 
uh, that, uh, you know, comes up in your inbox or if you check Facebook, it, it lets you know. Uh, and uh, it was from 15 years ago. And uh, it was so old that they don't let you share it. <laughs> so I sent it to Ramsey. And there was a period of time where I don't know how often every I guess it would go in bunches. Sometimes it'd be like every yeah. day. And then other times it'd be like weeks where we do these like uh, uh, Bill Brasky-esque facts about each other and post them on the Facebook wall. So I'm just going to read this one because I think it was one of your better ones, to be perfectly honest. Um, when producers came to the Disney Channel to pitch a new television sitcom for tweens, it was initially entitled That's Moderate Really Raven. <laughs> After consulting with Michael Varley, however, it was soon realized that the program needed at least 50% more Raven. <laughs> Though this required a complete rewrite, without the advice of one Mr. Varley, That's So Raven would not exist and the state of America would have taken a turn for the worst. <laughs> the last sentence is actually the best part of it because, uh, as we know, that so Raven could not save us. But <laughs> no, yeah, now we have that knowledge. Yeah, fifteen years ago, we, it's a more innocent time. That's right. That's right. It's amazing. I said Mike read this to me yesterday during the day, and it's amazing that that's what Facebook used to be. <laughs> it was like, nice. So sweet. Yeah. So yeah. nice. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. It's a little bulletin board. Yeah. yeah, you could just do a little joke and not <laughs> have to face the politics of your relatives. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, That's no great. no likes, no dislikes, no... Maybe no, no little... share button. Maybe that's why. Maybe it predates oh. the ability. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah, it makes me wonder, do they have, like, separate storage? Like, the Facebook is so labyrinthine, you know, like, to try and do anything on there in the back end is, like, an impossible task. And so I guess it must just get stored somewhere that's like, yeah, that was a 15-year-old version of it. We're never updating that. <laughs> right. But, yeah. We, uh... We walked by uh, UCB Chelsea uh, today. Uh, is that or what? What used to be the UCB sure. Chelsea location? Yep. Uh, which is now Improv something. It was what was it called? Like it was a uh, oh gosh, it was not a good name. <laughs> um. Are you familiar with what we're talking about? Now? It's like it's I, like Improv I, Deathmatch or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like I remember hearing that a new Improv Theater was there, yeah. but I, I don't know any more than that. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but yeah. yeah. So that was that was something you were involved in when yeah. you were new to the city. Yeah, I want to say about a year in, um, I started taking classes there, and then um, not too long after, I got on a, a sketch house team as a writer, and so every month we pr would produce a new show, um, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, and so many friends and so much content, and I still don't know how I did. All of that every every month uh, for free. Goodness oh, right. sakes! Oh, wow. right. yeah. Yeah. I paid a coach to do it. <laughs> How long did you do that for? Ooh, um, I want to say that was probably in the two and a half year range. Wow, I want to say. Wow. Um, yeah, it was it was a lot of shows. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, and they had since moved to Hell's Kitchen, um, and now they. Do not exist in New York at the current moment. Mm. Oh, is there not the UCB East doesn't exist anymore either? That one, that one shut down before the pandemic at, oh, for wow. not being profitable. Oh, that's um, too bad. The, yeah, that was a nice little spot too. Yeah, um, but they just couldn't have two theaters going. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, they they're saying they'll come back when all this 
settles down, but who knows? <laughs> I hope so. Were you yeah. still, like, to what degree were you still embedded in the whole scene? I would say not very at all. No. Um, I went to see a couple shows, and it felt very much like returning to a high school. Not right. that I had gra graduated beyond it or anything. I'm not saying anything to, like that, but just... It's like, oh, yeah, look at those kids doing that thing I used to do. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I don't know any of them. That's the new class. Yeah. That sort right. of feeling. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was, mm -hmm. And it was also a great thing to do when first starting in the city as, you know, going to see your shows. Um, I remember, like, and to this day, like, still see some of the actors that you worked with, like, in national spots, which is kind of fun. That's uh, a very strange thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, I also, I remember thinking, it's just so funny, it's just like thinking at like 23 or whenever we were doing it being like, I think I've missed the boat. I think I'm too old to do something <laughs> like this. Like this is, this is what Ramsey wants to do, but I think like I'm, it's past me. I've always felt like that. And similarly about like stand up too. I've always felt like, yeah, I've just, I missed it. And then it just kept getting older and older and being like, no, I missed it. I missed it. I don't know why I ever thought that, but like right. it was uh, it was a perfect thing to do starting in the city, you know, especially at our age. It's not like, you know. I, yeah. Yeah. And like, it's funny uh, that that attitude is exactly like my um, my comedy model keeps changing where it's like, oh, John Mulaney was so and so years old. Oh, well, OK, but uh, Conan started at here. Well, Rodney Dangerfield was 42 right, right, right out of the right, war. So right. I'm still good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. um, it's just a little airborne. I'm still good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's funny. It's like opposite things. But yeah, I mean, I very fondly remember going to those shows. I had a friend, uh, Grant. Actually, you know, this I didn't think this was going to come up, but I guess it did. And I swear we're going to get to the Royal Tenenbaum stuff. Uh, the uh, were you involved in the improv? At, <laughs> were you involved in improv at all at Geneseo? Uh, I tried out for the improv. Uh, they would not have me. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> wow. Well, they were pretty. They were very good, except they didn't for my know friend they Grant. They, except for my friend Grant Gordon, and uh, he had a room, uh, like a, a stand-up workout room, near where I used to live, uh, called Sack Magic, and that was a very similar experience for me, where it was, um, you know. You, going to the UCB and seeing all the talent there that was cycling through and then going to this workout room like every Monday and seeing all that happen. And um, yeah, just the, the what is available in the city in terms of comedy. And, and now we're we're walking around. I don't know if you've seen this at all, but um, they're doing they're still doing open mics, you know, mm. but they're in the weirdest places now. Like we saw they're all outside. Yeah. So the first one we saw was in Brooklyn Bridge Park and it was down like I don't know if you can picture this, but in Brooklyn Bridge Park, there's a little area where you can dock a kayak. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they had the like life preservers set up for people or the life vests set up. There must have been a kayaking excursion going on. And then there was a guy doing stand up right next to it. And I thought for sure it was just the person explaining like safety tips for kayaking until we got closer and heard that he was doing jokes. And it was like, this is confusing. It's just confusing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I thought, you know, you it's like it's one of those things where I don't. I, we didn't stick around to see if he was funny or not. No judgment on the person. But just like when you're like, oh, 
there's like a lot happening here. I feel for this person. Right. It's, um, it's yeah. definitely, I mean, we've seen in Central Park, we've seen it in Times Square, and we're talking like inevitably less than six people, you know, watching. And there are like all the other comics. Like it really is a profession that just is not durable to this particular situation. But I really think that in a few years time, you'll hear people talking on podcasts being like, yeah, coronavirus, I was doing it in front of the kayaks and, you know, moms were <laughs> giving me hard time for going blue, you know, like it's, <laughs> but yeah. And these kids with their open bars don't know how good they have it now. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, but anyway, we could go on and on about this type of stuff, but we should switch. And we will. And we so. will. <laughs> we should switch to the reason that maybe the two people that stuck it out with us are listening, which is uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. So uh, to give a little backstory of uh, this particular uh, walk, you know, uh, where we're in Manhattan for the whole month. Uh, this is our second uh, movie walk of three scheduled. Uh, the first one we did was actually several movies uh, in, all set in Queens. And then this one is what we thought was going to be almost all Manhattan locations. But as we did some more research the week prior to starting, uh, we found a bunch of new locations in Brooklyn. So we deviated from our prescribed route one day just to kind of capture those locations. So uh, we'll be covering those as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the movie itself. Uh, I know you mentioned you rewatched it, uh, right? We we rewatched it earlier this week. Um, it, I would say, it still holds up pretty well. Like I think it's patinaing in a pretty good way. I would agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it there were a couple things that hit me differently as an adult, but that's more mm. me than the movie itself. Mm. What were the what were what were some of the things that you think about? I, I think the biggest one was as as an adult, I had a little less sympathy for Ben Stiller's character, which I feel a little bit bad for. for. Oh, interesting. He, he's had a rough year, but he's still being a huge jerk to everybody. <laughs> That's, That's funny. Great. I actually had the opposite. Ooh. When I had watched it previously, I was like, oh, interesting character choice, whatever. I didn't really care that much about what was going on with him. When we watched it this time, I also might have been very tired. But as soon as he came on, I was I started crying, and I said to oh. Mike, "Oh my gosh, this character is just so sad." <laughs> so I don't know, yeah. but I but he also yeah he was being a jerk. I think it was. I, I'm fine with him being angry at Royal. That's go for it, man. But mm -hmm. why are you mad at Richie's poster? Somebody put it in your room, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess it never is really. I mean, the the implicit idea is because Royal gets along with Richie better, mm. he doesn't like him. But like, right. I don't think he has any interactions with um, uh, Margot. Really, do, do they interact like at all? Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, that's a good point. Like, other than other than Margot and and vice versa with Margot. Margot is upset that he gets to move home, and that inspires everybody coming together. Mm. But like, otherwise, they don't interact at all. Yeah. And uh and he interacts with his mom but like not really in a in a way either. Yeah. But like ironically that that connection whether it's a f whether Ben Stiller's character is like particularly authentic or effective at all, the royal Ben Stiller thing is kind of 
the driving force of the movie. It's ultimately like a father and son reuniting, you know? Right. And then the right. rest is like this high octane aesthetic experience, I guess, that really, I mean, I think shaped a lot of the like the does like the aesthetics of men and women like our age group. Like I look yeah. at I look at Luke Wilson's character and I look at Gwyneth Paltrow's character and that's how people dressed and acted and looked from like 2001 to 2012, basically. Yeah. That, is, that is Williamsburg. They defined yeah, Williamsburg. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's, shock, it's shockingly effective in that respect. I don't know what, I don't know how that happened, why that happened, if they were, how much of it they were borrowing from existing things that mm. were happening mm. and how much of it was Wes Anderson like putting that out there. I don't really know, um, you know. Yeah, and well, I think the films that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I think we. Had, I had a slight lag there. I Go apologize. Ahead. <laughs> um, I was just gonna say, like, it also uh, influenced the the films so much that came out, like all the text on screen and all the uh, const like montagey moves, or like the. I I don't have a specific example, but like using the book uh, as sort of the motif. Right. I'm sure, like that idea, that sort of similar thing has been ripped off. Yeah, totally. Times. Totally. The I was thinking that uh, obviously a lot of things, but the uh, as far as like the book motif and the idea of the narrator, I was thinking that um, that is actually a really important film for Alec Baldwin, even mm. though he's never actually visually present in the film. Mm. Um, it I, I looked up his kind of uh, TV and filmography. It was after the Schweddy Balls sketch from Saturday Night Live, which established him as like a voice, like an mm. actual like voice. But um, I think the Royal Tenenbaums gives this sophistication and dryness that is played out a lot in 30 Rock, I think, too. Mm. And like it really gave him a dimensionality to his career that has given propelled him to this kind of like debonair uh, smart ass, you know. Right. And uh, of course, the Trump now thing is like a whole new whole new other thing. But like, right. I, I yeah, I think it was really important this, for his this, career. It might be the first appearance of Alec Baldwin podcaster, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I think I think so, yeah. 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 Well, he's also, I mean, I don't know what his sort of, uh, how he was related to New York before that, but I feel like now he's very much like a New York guy. Like he, anytime NPR is doing a donation drive, it's always matched by Alec Baldwin. Like mm. he's always calling in to talk with Brian Lair and like he's like this he's like the New York and he's on Saturday Night Live a lot and I don't know what his New York affiliation was prior to the Royal Tenenbaums, other than, you know, probably living here already. But he was a Long Island guy. Okay. So he graduated oh. basically. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean he Saturday Night Live even prior to the, his his Trump portrayal was a, th a thing of his as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was uh, something I, I thought about. Uh, also, the the montage, or it's not a montage. I'm not sure what it is. The, the, the two sections at the start of the film, one of them eight minutes, one of them seven minutes, that show the childhood and then the downfall of the Royal Tenenbaums mm. is so strong and yeah. like just sets the entire aesthetic for the movie it sets all the parameters and almost every one 
of those things that occur in either of those sections is referenced again by the characters. Mm. Which also made me think that in a weird way, there's a connection to Family Guy. And follow me on this one. Because every episode of Family Guy, they'll be like, oh, remember the time you were with Samuel L. Jackson at the diner and blah, blah, blah. And then they go to that section where it's Samuel L. Jackson at the diner, you know, playing the accordion or something. It's almost <laughs> as if they took, because all of those scenes at the beginning of the movie could have conceivably been placed scattered throughout the Royal Tenenbaums. Mm. But instead it was front loaded. And like, I wonder uh, what it would have looked like if the movie was uh, played out so that you would just go jump back in time to that moment and then go back to it. Hmm. And then conversely, I wonder what a Family Guy episode would be like if you just front loaded all the references. <laughs> Peter Griffin was at the diner with Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, yeah. And... yeah exactly. <laughs> but they also like their the Family Guy's super into, uh, you know, doing long, unnecessary musical mm. bits. So I could see them potentially doing that hmm. and then That's having right. basically a seven minute episode or something, you know, but I was. It was very interesting what it did to the pacing. And I don't think I was I noticed this at all, but like the first third of the movie even into ah i hit the mic uh <laughs> even into cut that out uh even into the um once we like are out of the past like the ben stiller and his kids with the uh smoke alarm situation mm-hmm. yeah it's very 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 fast yeah but then as soon as like royal enters their lives things slow down yeah and get mm. very reflective yeah um y- yeah it's like this super super uh, adrenaline pumped, like, here's the past three seasons of the Royal Tenenbaums. Right. And now right. this is the movie. Because it really breaks down. To the, the It's an hour and 50 minutes long. And it's 15 minutes of this preamble, an hour and a half of content, and then the credits. Hmm. Uh, so it, I, I, I mean, J- Jesse, I, I don't know if I've never asked if it bothers you, but I literally, when we watch movies like this, I will stop and be like, what's the timing? I'm curious to like, where are the beats that are happening right here? And no, the only thing that bothers me is when you sit on the remote and it like fast forwards and <laughs> we have to find it again. No, I don't mind a small pause. <laughs> That's way more common than it should be. <laughs> uh, well, I'm definitely feeling the aftershock of that comment, so. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, oh, no. I'm aware that it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, uh, let's uh, let's start going over the locations uh, so folks let's can see. Go to the map. Let's go <laughs> to the videotape. Uh, we'll start. Uh, we'll start in Brooklyn, which uh, I, I, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't really realize uh, that there were this many in that area, and it's like the Park Slope Windsor Terrace area. Uh, which was populated with spots. Uh, the first one we'll go to is um, Henry Sherman. Is that Danny Glover's character? I think it's, is it Henry Sherman? I think that's I, right. I think that it is. Right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, we'll go with it. Uh, his Mr. home, Sherman to you. Mr. Sherman, that's right. <laughs> I've known him as my accountant, Mr. Sherman, for a year. Uh, he is so angry. He's not necessary. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, being mean to him is really unnecessary, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, that his house, uh, is on 83 Prospect Park West, and uh, so it's right on the park there. You don't see it until the end of the film when uh, Royal is in his do-good mm. phase, and he's uh, going to do a, like a divorce with the notary, you know, on the spot. Uh, and it's a gorgeous home. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I should have looked this up in advance, uh, but we'll provide a link to it. It's now like an organizational location. It's not a... Mm. Uh, 
it's not uh, like an, a private residence. It is uh, oh. a home that uh, houses uh, different like community activities. Oh, cool. So, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was it was cool to see. And I passed it a hundred times and never noticed it's uh, on uh, between first and second. So pretty close to Grand Army Plaza. Um, I did notice in the movie there was a statue or something that was labeled Sherman. Really? Or her, or, yeah. Oh. Like right, right next to the stairs. I didn't pause it to look at it closer, but. Oh, yeah. My oh. eyes were very trained on the uh, scenery this time around. For yeah, you yeah. Guys, so. yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's one of those. Yeah, one of the amazing details of, of this film. I mean, the the level of uh, world building is yeah. yeah part of what sells the entire thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, so I was I was pleased to, to walk by that one. Um, the second one, uh, pretty close there. There's actually, the next two are immediately next to each other. Uh, there is, starting with uh, Riley Sinclair's home, Bill Murray's home, which is on 196 16th Street, between uh, 5th and 6th? 6th Avenue, yeah, between yeah. 5th and 6th Avenue. And I had never thought about the location where he lived in ever in this movie prior to having to watch it for that reason. But Jesse and I, when we first uh, saw it, we were like, that's not Manhattan. Yeah. That's definitely not mm-hmm. where Manhattan is. Like it probably in Brooklyn. I don't know. It, it like it has that feel of like somewhere that's not as majestic mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, well, home. I think in that scene is the first time also that you see the, the taxi cab. And the way that they make the taxi cabs like so busted, which is really funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, which makes you also, I think, adds to like, oh, that's not the city, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I didn't uh, know it was there. I thought it maybe was even, I don't know, further flung. It seemed like more spacious. Mm. Yeah, we decided Queens in this house just mm. on our guts. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was uh, wondering. Yeah, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, definitely the saddest exterior in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of anything else. Really. Yeah. And I, wa- I mean, I guess his character is kind of sad also. Just like maybe not where it starts, but where it where it ends. Yeah. He doesn't really get the best um, hand. Yeah. I was wondering, I, I didn't look up in the credits to what degree, if at all, Noah Baumbach was involved in this film. But I, I mean, I believe if the squid and the whale is autobiographical i believe he grew up in the area and i was wondering if there was any influence that maybe he brought to that idea because he does the riley sinclair character does kind of feel like the like jeff daniels-y character from the squid and the whale like the Mm. 80s professory um you know he bought this house a while ago and it's kind of grown up around Mm. him type thing um and also in a very it also kind of feels the middle class way that uh, uh, in Rushmore, uh, Jason Schwartzman's father kind of represents that thing. Mm. Uh, yeah. But his character is Jason Schwartzman's father's character is way more middle class than uh, than Bill Murray. Bill Murray's character is I don't know I don't know if you would, what you would consider him not a fop, but just kind of like a somebody to be made fun of for his intellectualism, you know? Right. Yeah. And like. Jason Schwartzman's dad is still like working, whereas this guy can write his book about his uh, his his uh, patient. Yeah, and, uh, just kind of keep his feet up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Also, I mean that the fact that his patient is just with him everywhere he goes <laughs> all the time. 
<laughs> that's, I mean, that's definitely something I hadn't really thought of until we rewatched it. And I, like, I had the time to be like, wait, why is Dudley living? <laughs> like, is he living with him? Is he like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He has a, he's not, it's not physical comedy, but it is like some type of simpler, com- you know, like, oh, I, 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 what was he? I'm colorblind. Yes, I'm afraid you are. Like he can, you know, he can hear acutely and just, you know, there's something about his. He's not flopping around, but he is like not, certainly not an intellectual character. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, literally on the other side of the block, or you know, you go one around, and you're on the Prospect Expressway, and uh, there is then the Grand Prospect Hall, which. Uh, oh yeah. I you know. We've we've walked by a number of times and and admired the interior. Uh, it I've never been in there. I don't know if you've been in there or not, but uh, I have not. Um, yeah. It's wonderful. I, would, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to make this request, but if you can cut in the uh, commercial for the Grand Prospect Hall, uh, it's wonderful. Really? I don't think I don't think I'm familiar yeah. with it. Is it on YouTube? Um, probably. I can find it. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it has. There's an old older woman who I assume owns the place who just goes the grand prospect hall we make your dreams come true <laughs> it's my favorite yeah i don't know if i've seen if, it where did you see it for, like just on the internet or on the tv on the tv oh nice mm-hmm. if nothing else we should definitely put a link to it yeah. whether if we can't there we go cut yeah. it, but i went there once for a balkan festival Ooh. it was and it was incredible it was just there was balkan music and thousands of people and the Balkan musicians were like st- stomping around on the ground floor and then everyone else was dancing and it was in that scene and yeah, incredible. <laughs> yeah. So the the Grand Prospect Hall, the exterior shots we're showing right now, it's uh, a little disingenuous because the exterior is not actually shown in the film. Mm. And uh, there's this is one of several locations where for COVID related reasons, we were not able to get in to give more footage. But the exterior itself looks like it should be in a Wes Anderson film. Perhaps hmm. it's why it was, uh, you know, uh, explored as an area mm. to, to go. And then the the scene that was filmed there was actually the ice cream parlor scene uh, with uh, Margot and Royal. I remarked that is the fanciest ice cream parlor <laughs> that has ever existed yeah. why yeah exactly yeah. It, it was uh yeah i mean and now looking at it in the context of that hall like you know it's just a very small sliver of what the space mm-hmm. is i don't even it might just be like one little alcove i don't really know i you know i've never been in there with the express idea of like looking around yeah. for that but yeah um so yeah so that's that look those are all of the brooklyn locations uh, there was one Queens location. We didn't go out to it because it was just so far flung relative to what we're mm. doing. But um, that was, um, I think it's in Forest Hills. It's related to Richie's uh, tennis career. Mm. Um, I can actually talk about this one real quick. Please, oh, please, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I actually teach in Forest Hills. Yeah. So uh, I uh, have been here a few times and they have since renovated and uh, do concerts there from time to time. Oh, okay. Uh, and so... The uh, the tennis court is still out there, and that's actually the where they have the various concerts on the court itself. Yeah. Um, but a little secret is the go karting is happening just outside the stadium, really? within the grounds. Oh yeah. wow! Yeah, which I didn't recognize until 
this time because nice. I've been there. <laughs> oh, interesting. When Royal takes the the grandsons out there yep. to go. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's great. I mean, there there may be some further uh, investigation that I was not able to find into the locations that are in this film, but. There are so many places that are in here that are mm. not covered. Like, I, I didn't see anything about the go-karts. Uh, that makes sense. That uh, Chaz, it's a scoop for your podcast. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Chaz's apartment, you know, where they do the fire drill. Um, oh, yeah. you know, the best I could see was somebody was like, I just know it's on Park Avenue somewhere. Mm. You know, <laughs> like. Uh, and in my heart. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And there, I think there's a lot of spots like that, which would be cool if there's whoever the locations person was for the Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. Uh, if you ever feel inspired and, uh, you know, like in a lull of work, I think it'd be a really good thing to to oh, plot yeah. all the other spots that are not yet covered by the internet. But um, I will say in the stadium now, there is a brass plaque and a brass sneaker that says on the in the stadium on such and such a date, Richie the Bomber Tenenbaum played the worst game of tennis in his life. Really? Oh, really? Yep. That's amazing. It, it's really great. Yeah. We had a, an interaction uh, that we'll elaborate on when we get uptown, but Jesse had spoken to somebody on the phone today about getting into one of our locations, and she referenced the fact that the movie was filmed there. Yeah. And he he knew, he remembered that it had, had gone yeah. on. And I I guess I always, it's such a film where I'm not really sure if people are going to know or not. Because, you know, it's really such, right. yeah. it's, it's a, Wes Anderson is like kind of, I don't know, middle tier in terms of like notoriety in the world. And it's like right. such a hipstery mm -hmm. niche kind of, you know, film. That right. I just I just don't know. Most people I think in New York would be like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know? Well, and there's right. so like, many films happening here that a lot of people are just like, oh, okay, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the prodigal son is, but that was filming here the other day. <laughs> like <laughs> Exactly. Uh, but like, yeah, like with Wes Anderson, I think like your your art snobs are gonna be like, Oh, that guy? Okay. <laughs> I've heard it. Yeah, I know right, that. Right, right. Um, but then like my parents are they're just gonna say i thought bill murray was funny what is this That's what like, <laughs> like, exactly there's, there's a, a little bit of wiggle room yeah right. totally totally so we'll start from downtown and work our way up for some of the other locations here uh, we have uh one bowling green which is also known as the customs house uh and in and that's where the the museum of the uh, uh native american mm -hmm. is currently and in the film, it's referred to as the public archives, and that is where uh, Margot and Richie go to run away, mm. and they hide out in the African wing, and they sleep under the uh, bench, which is a great shot. It really, like, I don't, I mean, obviously, it must just be a bench with, like, you know, it cut out, but it, like, feels like an x-ray view into that location, you know? <laughs> Yeah, um, and, and that dolly shot just goes on forever I know, down that hallway. I know, it's so good. And uh, yeah, so I, the uh, exterior of uh, uh, Margot, is is Eli with them? Is Eli Cash with them at that point? When they camp out in the, no. I don't I think, know, no, right? I, no, he's not when they camp with them, but he's like, can I come in? And she's like, mm. no, and don't tell anybody about it. Mm. And then they hang, and then uh, Margot and Richie hang out. And that's, I mean, it's a shot that lasts, you know, longer in the interior than it does at the exterior. But it's just one of those, I mean, 
amazingly done at the start of the movie where it's just like, just put as many antiquity, highbrow <laughs> things as possible into this film so we can set the tone, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's that's that location. And there's one that's kind of a location, kind of not a location. I presume it was filmed there, but it, it, it could, it maybe is not. And that's the uh, Staten Island ferry shot where uh, Margot is making out mm -hmm. with uh, one of the guys when they're doing the dossier on her. Um, now the name of the actual ferry is escaping me because there's literally hmm. not a single thing that's one-to-one -one right. in the film. No, it's not right. called the Staten Island Ferry. I, I remember calling it out when we were watching it, but I don't remember now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's I, I watched it just last night, and I don't remember no, what it I mean, was, there's, so I there's, remember it. There's so many little bits here and there that it's, it's, it, you'd have to write them all down. But, yeah. I was just too busy dancing to the Ramones to, <laughs> that's right. to make that's note. Right. <laughs> perfect, perfect, uh, and the, how they cut it off abruptly, like yeah. so, so good. Um, but yeah, so that's another location uh, that is referenced, not the exterior, but the boat itself. And then, uh, you know, right down there uh, as well is Battery Park, and Battery Park is where uh, Royal, uh, um, what? Oh gosh, what is the uh, the caretaker's name? Pagoda. P Pagoda. Uh, yeah. Where Pagoda uh, ref uh, tells uh, Royal that his wife is going to get married, and mm. uh, and then they start scheming, and it's like all I mean, I don't remember if Bottle Rocket or if Rushmore do this. I mean, they must, but like we have so many. But by that point, which is again like smack dab like fifteen minutes into the film, because now it's starting, we've had like fifteen centered shots of people. You know, main mm. characters. I mean, you've introduced all the main characters. There have been a bunch of, like, secondary, tertiary characters that have been, like, all centered. And then those two characters, it's like the reverse shot. Royal is um, backed by the park, and then Pagoda is backed by the water with the two, like, uh, what are those poles called? I don't know. You know, like, the, the more I don't know if they're mooring or whatever. But mm -hmm. just, like, it's, it's bonkers how much they're how much non-character space occurs in these yeah. shots, but it feels so, uh, you know, symmetrical, you know. And in, in that shot of Pagoda, my wife pointed out that he is perfectly blocking the Statue of Liberty. Is he? Yep. Oh, this wow. Is, uh, it's a New York without any landmarks yeah. there. It, well, that's a, that's a, and that's a great point, too. I mean, that was something I was, I was thinking about, I mean, in, in the walk as a whole, you know, the... It, it is New York, but I've, I've never really thought about it as being in New York, you know, like right. I uh, and it I don't know if it's it's not necessarily antiseptic, but it's just so it's it uses the set dressing in this way that I really don't know if another film uses New York in such a manner where because if you're filming in New York, it's kind of a pain in the ass to film in New York. Like you want, like right. you kind of want to get your money's worth. Like, no, yeah. we're here. We right. want to make, we want to attach our film to this idea of what New York is, and they don't do that at all. You know. There's a shot. I can't remember which location it was, but it's looking down a full city block, and they had they must have had to time it just perfectly. You see the taxi cab come around the corner and come down to pick up Royal, I think it is. Yeah. And I was just thinking like not only is 
are they having to now block off one street? They're also blocking off this other street it's crossing with. And there's somebody like timing this perfectly. This that was just a, like a really hard shot to get in New York City. Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. I was thinking a similar thing um, at the end of the movie. You know, when Eli races mm. down the street, and we haven't hit this location yet. It, but but it's way uptown, and we realized when we went there that he is driving down the wrong way on a one-way street, and there oh. was like so much street parking. And so they must have had to clear all those cars and like also you're going the wrong way and manage all the traffic and stop all that. And yeah, I mean, it wasn't at least that's in like a smaller neighborhood area, but still the logistics to do these sorts of things, especially in this city where it's just like it's expensive and there's so many hoops. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's I think it must have I don't know what the budget was, but it certainly was the first film where Wes Anderson was kind of able to dictate some things at least. And it it's such a powerful statement that he was, you know, like, no, I'm going to forego any sense of setting other than this really powerful sense of setting that's developed by the buildings themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, like I said, I've never, I, I never really thought about it as New York, but of course it's New York, you know? Um, I kept trying to put a, a time period on it. Um, mm. And like, I so on his gravestone spoilers, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, <laughs> th- there is a year at the end. But um, it could just as easy, like it has that kind of grungy 70s New York feel at times. Yeah. But yeah. also like that could also have been when they were growing up. Like it, it kind of feels like it was one decade the entire movie, mm-hmm. like the past, the present. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also it could be any time. Yeah. To what some did they date it as? I don't think I caught that. It's supposed to be I, contemporary. Oh. Or contemporary to its time. So obviously. it was yeah. like 2000 something. I think that... it was 2002, 2001. Okay. When did this come out? It came out 2001. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think, I think I would have thought it was earlier too. At least like 90s or earlier. Yeah. Right. Well, and you know, you say that the grunginess too and trying to think of that like the gypsy taxi cab actually plays Mm. a significant role in like kind of establishing that 70s grittiness right no that's a good point yeah the crazy cab yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) but there are i mean it's also you know very much a film that i don't i don't know if it could exist in this contemporary climate either you know where it's like Mm. there's uh, Danny Glover and his son and Pagoda are really like the only actors of color in the film mm. that I can think of right now. I mean, I think that the fact that it was like a, an interracial marriage that was inciting the whole thing. And also like Royals like uh, coming at Henry Sherman in the, oh, yeah. in the kitchen is like, I don't. Yeah, this is kind of weird. Did we have to go here? I mean, I guess it's Royals character. Uh, so. And it made sense right. twenty years. It, like it, it still could have made sense then, but like not now. I mean, I don't want to go too deep on, on into like a you know a race theory assessment of this movie. That's not really what it was, <laughs> but it it just is like in terms of like representing New York City as a thing. It's like just such a precious, perfect idea of this very narrow thing, you know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, like this one window of like this particular type of New Yorker almost. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Well, in a weird way, I almost feel like 
it could potentially be like this commentary on extreme privilege also because like the characters are just so absurd and over the top mm -hmm. and like it's literally inbreeding when you think about it. I mean, it's not, but like, you know, the Margot, <laughs> well, uh, uh, you know, I mean, they're not, she's not, she's adopted. But like, you know, it is this idea still a gray of like, area. They're, 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 it's so insular. Eli Cash wants to be a part of this family. Right. You know, everybody, like the, the funeral, it, you know, Royal seems like a guy that would be the most gregarious guy. And I understand like they wanted to close it like a little play and just have the characters that were there. But there's no way that dude would have only those people at his funeral. You know, like, right. that guy would have so many people there, you know. Right. At least Rusty, the elevator operator, would have shown up. Right. Yeah. Where was he? He does show up. He does show oh, up. Oh, he does? He does. Oh, was he at the funeral? He does, he does oh, show up. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean... I rescind my comment. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll cut that out. Uh, <laughs> but the, the experience of the kids, like, that they're all able to do all these insane things, like, it's, it's otherworldly. And I, I'm sure there are some people in New York that live kind of like that. Like, it's probably yeah. an exaggeration of yeah. what's going on, but... It is kind of an interesting, like, I, I don't think it was meant to be a commentary. I think I think it's just the aesthetic of the Wes Anderson worlds being so over the right. top. But it is, like, thinking about it from today's lens. Yeah. I can see it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think if it, if it had tried to do more uh, awareness of what New York was, it probably would not have succeeded in its very specific targeted purpose. I mm. think it just, I mm. don't, I, and I think Wes Anderson needed to grow as a filmmaker a little more. Like I think he had a very singular vision and it worked out for this purpose, but uh, yeah, I don't think it would have worked otherwise. But I, I, I thought also that I'm maybe probably somebody with a, a broader film background than myself would be able to come up with better examples, but this film in particular feels like the the analogy to British humor, like Ameri like the the dry the version of dry British humor. This is an American dry humor, hmm. and uh, I, I couldn't maybe like there's also kind of like a um, oh what's a a mighty wind uh, mm -hmm. uh, Christopher mm -hmm. Guest like Christopher Guest. maybe that's also kind of a British humor but American yeah. take as well. Um, um, I I can't remember the director who did Metropolitan. Um, Mm, I'm going to throw that in there, too. Yeah, it just it struck me as, uh, you know, every scene is like we're like kind of chuckling bemusedly at pretty much any line that's being right. said. You know, uh, there's only I, I don't know how many times there's like just straight out laugh out loud funny lines. Mm -hmm. But like every sentence that's said is kind of like, I don't know, puts that ambient humor that I think of when I think of British film, you know, British humor film. Yeah. I think that's a really good analogy. Thanks. <laughs> uh, and now I must leave. <laughs> away. Uh, yeah, so let's let's move uptown. Uh, oh, yeah, we're still in Battery Park here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now we're heading up to Midtown. We got a brief shot at 111 West 44th Street of the Belasco Theater. Mm, yeah. And the Belasco Theater is where Margot's comeback play, The Levinsons in the Trees, is uh, put on. 
and receives mixed reviews mm -hmm. after several weeks of running. <laughs> so, I mean, they only show it as an exterior establishing shot right. for a few seconds. Uh, right now, uh, every, everything obviously everything's closed down, but it is where Bob Dylan's uh, uh, girl from North Country is uh, supposed to be running. Oh, so there's like scaffolding set. Like the, it's it's interesting. It the the they've treated the exterior a little bit to have this kind of industrial Hibbing, Minnesota, like a scaffolding thing with like burnt out letters for the girl of North Country. But it's mm -hmm. still the, the building itself, you can tell, is like has that regalness that all of the exterior establishing shots that they're looking to get have, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Have you ever been to the Belasco by any chance? I don't think I have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, go, no, no, go ahead. Yeah, we had a... Uh, we had gone there. Yeah, we went when um, when that movie um, that I'm forgetting the name of, but the, the one that came, the Irishman mm. came out. They did that showing where you could go see it in theater through Netflix. Yeah, and in theater didn't mean like an AMC. It meant like at the Belasco. <laughs> and it was great. Wow. It was a it's a beautiful theater. Yeah, the inside is all ornate and painted, and it was weird to watch. The Irishman there, <laughs> but it was enjoyable. Yeah, I do have a question that might be too personal and will make you think back 18 months. So I do apologize. Okay. But okay, here we go. How many times did you have to go to the bathroom during that movie? Oh, um, uh, once. I think I went once. Impressive. Yeah. I think I I maybe went once as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it cumulatively, like... a score of two. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think okay. it was this thing where I actually didn't know how long the movie was. Going into it, I had no idea. I thought it was going to be movie length. And then <laughs> I was like, you know, by an hour in or something, I'm like, well, I could, I kind of have to pee, but like, I'm sure this will be over soon. <laughs> and then it's like an hour and a half, and I'm like, is this movie, it doesn't seem like it's wrapping up. And then it's like two hours. And then I looked at the ticket and was like, oh my gosh, I got to go. <laughs> did they have an intermission? I don't recall. I don't remember. They might have. Maybe they did. Maybe mm. they had an intermission. I don't remember though. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, that movie was a very good movie I'll never watch again mm -hmm. uh, because it's too long, unfortunately. You know, if it, if it were 45 minutes shorter, I'd be very excited to see it again. But I remember the the scene where uh, there this like, retirement party for, I don't know, for Jimmy Hoffa yeah. or something. And, and they literally, they're like, you go tell him that. And then they have a scene where he's, I'll, I'll tell you that, but then you go tell oh, him yeah. that. And it's like <laughs> 25 minutes of them like, you know, why are we doing this? Come on, Martin, please, don't do this to me, you know? You're not close enough to call him Marty. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so that's the uh, that's that location. Uh, and then just a little bit to the right, a few avenues uh, to the right, uh, we have uh, the Waldorf Astoria. Mm -hmm. which was, uh, you know, changed, the name was changed, of course, in the movie to the, uh, I thought I wrote it down, but it's like the Char the Lindbergh Palace, I believe, hotel. The Lindbergh where he Palace. was living, right? Yeah, where yeah. he was living, which uh, one of several locations that we visited that unfortunately uh, were not be, we couldn't reveal it in all of its grandeur. Uh, it's right now going under what appears to be pretty extensive renovation. Mm. So there, you still can see a bit of the facade, you know, under the scaffolding. But it, uh, yeah, there's like a, lots of like 
uh, plywood boards up against windows. It honestly looks like it's been burned out in some places. It I'm doesn't sure it, look I'm, great. Yeah, I'm sure it hasn't been. And there are people yeah. still living there. There's a, I think it's called like the Towers or, or something like that um, at the Waldorf Astoria. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the, the building itself is, I mean, I'm glad it's not being torn down. But oh, it, yeah. right, right now, it is not, for posterity's sake, the greatest example of, uh, of footage that we have for it. But. Yeah, which speaking of like the difficulty of filming in New York, there's so much, especially for a movie like this, where it's like so focused on the shot and the aesthetic. I like how just there's so much construction constantly everywhere. There's scaffolding yeah. and there's all the noises and yeah. And, and there's sweeping layer. rooftop shots where like it wouldn't be that hard to catch something that you don't want in your perfect pristine shot. Right. But totally. I mean, nowadays, nowadays, maybe you can just, you know, cut it out with mm. CGI or something, you know. But yeah. particularly back in the day, I don't think you'd really have yeah, much of Yeah, I don't know a, if you'd be able to do it then. Yeah. yeah. But that is, yeah, that is, they must have done the filming in the lobby stuff, too. I don't know if when mm. they go up on the roof, if it's the same location or not. Mm. But uh, I, I think all the lobby stuff is done there. And... It really, it's one of the anchors of the film. I mean, aside from the home itself, it really, it really uh, sets this idea of royal being uh, American aristocracy, hmm. and then being you know booted out of that life yeah. and having to figure it out. Yeah. Um, so next up, uh, we go uptown quite a bit on the east side. Yeah. Okay. So this is 103rd Street, and this is PS 171, Patrick Henry, uh, which is also the 375th Street Y. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is another location that was just completely plastered with scaffolding. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, we were able to go across the street, and if you squint, you can kind of understand mm. what's going on. But it is not, you can't get that same, like, symmetrical, pristine vibe of, uh, you know, even, like, the, the gates that have, like, the 375. I mean, obviously, those are never there. Right. But, like, <laughs> just that shot is, it, it does look like it's always been in a Wes Anderson film. And right. it would have been nice to see it, you know, un, unadorned. <laughs> but yeah. this is what we live in Maybe right one now. day. Yeah, maybe one day. Yeah. One thing that was funny when we went to that location there was a film shoot happening oh, right wow. like half a block like on, in the same building but right around the corner and again something like I've never heard of but such a massive setup it was called the bad witch hmm. okay yeah. <laughs> yeah i was hoping maybe you knew about it yeah, yeah. i can pretend yeah okay. there you go i i i mean somebody you know one of the pas shouted to somebody in the car a car going by that it was like gossip girls whether or not oh. that's true, I don't know. But Then I'm going to assume it's on CW yeah. based oh, on yeah. the title it yeah. is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, probably. But it was, I mean, they. I don't know how long they were taking to set up, but there was a pretty significant crew there. Mm. It was on uh, a, a really nice day. This week has been very nice weather-wise for people watching. Um, I'm sure as Ramsey knows. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, there was like 80 people plus, you know, a team of police uh uh, there and uh, all the gear you could want set up. We ducked around the corner to do our filming 
for the shot that was used in the in the Royal Tenenbaums. And then by the time we got back around, they were already striking. Like, I don't know. Uh, if oh, wow. It, but, yeah, like, they, I, it they seemed like. They must have just been set up already. And I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah but it, I, I guess they knew what they wanted and they could do it one take and go. But it was, it was kind of impressive, to be honest. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, all the scaffolding makes me think. So, very quick tangent. Um, yeah. yeah. For your video viewers, you already know that my hair is thinning slightly. But if I were like three years further ahead in that process, my plan would be to shave completely and get a wig and return from COVID, uh, from lockdown with like a perfect wig forever. And no one would be any wiser. Um, Maybe this is the scaffolding is like the building equivalent of that. We're going to do all our restoration right now. No one's going to know. It's going to be perfect. That's right. I don't remember this being Miami themed, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it always was. I kind of had a similar thought. I mean, I like yours is funnier, but I was just thinking like things are closed. I guess they're doing construction. But yeah, I mean, I... I'm very glad you said it the way you did. I mean, you're just the more logical one without a (laughs) podcast derailing tangent. We're putting wigs on all the buildings. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another location that's there that we could not get up to, but it's in the same complex, is the uh, outdoor uh, uh, playground slash exercise area where Ari and Uzi are uh, doing their 16 times a week workout when Royal meets them for the first time. Uh, and yeah, you can see from the street that there's that like this metal lattice work going over the roof. Uh, we weren't able to get up there. I don't even know if they'd let us up there even if it wasn't yeah, a I pandemic. I was mm. so surprised that that structure though is like actually a structure that people yeah, that's use crazy that you can see to it. work yeah. out. Yeah. 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 So uh, working our way a little bit further up, uh, we're hitting the home stretch now. We have uh, the building that maybe people have been thinking, why haven't we gotten there? Uh, (laughs) It's at 339 Convent Avenue, and that is on a 144th Street in Convent Avenue. And that is the Royal Tenenbaums home Mm -hmm. that was purchased in Royal Tenenbaums 35th year. The winter of his 35th year. Right. Yeah. Which I was like, damn, that guy's ahead of me. I need to <laughs> I need to buy a home now. Uh, but, uh, and not we, just specifically any home. That yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, I Have you been to that home at some point during the time that you've lived here? It's insane that I haven't, really? given how much I love this movie. Yeah. And it's a gor- like a very visible landmark. Yeah, yeah. I should do yeah. it. Yeah. I've, uh, I've passed by it maybe once or twice. I don't know if I've ever gone explicitly with that reason yeah but uh i have passed by before once or twice and this time we gave it a a formal examination yes it is a beautiful home it is right near the uh is a city college Yeah, yeah the city college in new york which is also when we first did i think we did like kind of a a trial walk before we started the whole project mm-hmm. and that was really the first time that i had walked through that campus even though i had been by this home uh and it is it feels like an actual college campus in the middle of the city, which it like, you know, we went to a school that is a college campus and you wouldn't think that that exists necessarily in New York. But no, it does. and I went to school in New York and I did not have a, co- a campus at all. Yeah. <laughs> I had yeah. a couple buildings that I went to. Yeah. So, yeah, it's cool it's... to see uh, this full campus. It's beautiful. It's like basically a big park 
with beautiful old architecture that students get to go to and learn. Yeah. Is Hamilton's the Grange right there? Yes. Yeah. Yep, yep, mm -hmm. very good. Uh, so that means that I've been there and missed out on the Royal Tenenbaum's oh. house. I was so close. Yeah, I mean, you literally one avenue away from oh, there. Man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it is a gorgeous home. It's unclear if one family lives there. I would kind of, mm. honestly, I'd be skeptical. But I don't know for certain one it way or the other. It was hard to tell. The, it looked like there were two entrances. The one entrance had no, um, like, apartment doorbells. So I imagine that's just an entrance for one family. And then the other one, it had an intercom, but I didn't see mm. multiple buzzers. I mean, maybe it is. So it's still unclear because sometimes that's on the inside of, like, the exterior door, too. So. Yeah. Uh, but I, I believe they acquired that home for the filming because it was undergoing renovations at the time. Oh. I could be wrong, but I feel like I read that somewhere. So it may be that once the renovations were over, it became multifamily. Mm. Or maybe it's just somebody decided that they wanted it for the home. I mean, it, it's it's a beautiful space right in the yeah. corner. And it's, uh, as, well, Jesse mentioned the, uh, you know, the when Eli Cash is driving down, uh, you know, high on mescaline, uh, in, you know, that's, it's a one-way street. So it's... An, uh, not he, a lot he of traffic. Was the wrong way. Yeah, not a lot of traffic that's happening. Yeah. And from all kind of the the degree that which we can explore, it looks like they filmed at least some of the wedding scene out there as well. Uh, there's hmm. a little patio on the side, and so it was slate on the ground, which like a, that was you know there. And then there's a there is a wooden gate, and I don't believe it was the gate that they hop over when they mm -hmm. go into the Japanese garden, or it's like it's like that's the consulate house, whatever it is that, that's next door. I don't believe yeah. that that exists next door. I think they jump somewhere. But it also may just be a separate part of the same grounds. Yeah. It's not, it's mm. not entirely clear. Um, yeah, it was hard to tell. Yeah. I, I don't get the sense that they did too much like, completely different location matching, you know, like where they would cut and then go to a totally different place. I don't right. think they did that that much in the film, which leads me to believe they'd probably try and avoid that if at all possible. Mm. Um, the home itself, I don't know if any of those interior things were done there. I I, didn't... I believe they were, if mm. I remember from watching the DVD extra features. Nice. Oh, years nice. Ago. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, I think it falls in line with the idea that they, they had the, the house so they would use it to their max advantage. And also it would be, I mean, it seems like he likes to keep things as authentic as possible. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, and, and yeah. Oh, just the number of shots of like them, like looking wistfully out the window of right. like panning up yeah. where like they would have to be in there, yeah. whether or not the sets were. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's huge. I mean, the, the building itself is actually that big. So, and it looks like. You, I mean, you couldn't. We couldn't go in. We couldn't see in, and none of the windows were open. But there were a couple that had like just the screen, and it did look. It seemed like the inside could match. Yeah, I hmm. felt like from the outside. Yeah, I don't know. One thing. Yeah, go on. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, go on. Uh, I will say about that uh, Eli scene. One thing I do want to point out, in case this uh, podcast inspires listeners to uh, rewatch the film. Yeah, mm -hmm. I I noticed. He, so he hits a mailbox and then hits the building. 
Um, I only noticed him in one shot, but a mailman runs over to pick up the letters, and it made me laugh out loud. Really? <laughs> I think yep. I, I noticed a guy. I didn't notice him running. I did notice at some point that guy he was picking up the letters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Also in that, uh, I guess it was a Dolly scene, like, after everything. Also, there's no consequences for Eli Cash. Let's put that out there. That's a good point. You know, he was literally 48 hours later when they're in Judge's Chambers getting married. He's somehow a best man or something. (laughs) Like, nobody seems to care that he killed a dog and, you know. Yeah. Anyway. um, Yeah. I mean, was also just driving recklessly on drugs. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Another thing that I noticed about that uh, the wedding scene, which was interesting, is that all of the men characters, including Dudley and Riley, are in the same suit. So, like, <laughs> Dudley is in the wedding party? Or they huh. just, I mean, I think Wes Anderson was just kind of really getting his uniformity in for Life Aquatic, <laughs> like, early. You know, like, he was really working right. that phase out. But it felt, it, it felt good, like... In this, insofar as like, okay, this is the climactic scene, and all the characters in the play are mm-hmm. getting together in this one, you mm-hmm. know, type of outfit. Yeah, it like made. I mean, once you pointed it out, and I started like, I understand what happens at a wedding and what people usually wear to a wedding, and these are like very rich people. Like, they're not. It's not like they went and got a bulk deal on suits for everyone <laughs> or something. Like, they could all afford to get their own fancy suits. Yeah. So then it, Indochino. Yeah. Any? Use promo code. <laughs> Total clarity. We're it. sponsored now. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but once you pointed that out, I thought that was really funny. And I don't know personally, I don't know if I liked that choice or not. Yeah. Once I realized it. But I think I didn't realize it at first, so yeah. probably was fine. Yeah. This is I didn't know if I was gonna bring this up or not, but I did keep it in case. Uh, I don't know to what degree you're familiar with the idea that I make a mask for Halloween every year. I am I am familiar yeah, with this idea. Yeah, well, it's been 10 years, so you were there for at least some <laughs> yeah. part of it. Um, I very rarely make a mask that is based on a character. In fact, this might be the only year that this actually happened. Uh, however, one year for Halloween, I wore this shirt and uh, went, uh, wore a wig, and went as... And a fringe jacket. And a fringe jacket. And I went as Eli Cash from crashing into the uh, <laughs> wedding, which included, uh, I won't put the whole thing on, but this is the mask that I was oh, wearing wow. down with the paint. You can you can be afraid. It's t- definitely part of the aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is like the uh, uh, anime version, like, like spooked up. I like it. That's right. That's... Yeah. And you painted yeah. your face underneath. Underneath the face was painted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. yeah. So it was it was a lot of fun to it be that's really cool like that yeah. yeah and I uh, I ran into boy I'm getting myself into a story I shouldn't do this uh, I got I, I was at a Halloween party and I was waiting online for the bathroom and uh, there were it was like a long narrow hallway and there were a bunch of people just waiting there and then the door opened and like. No, I, I asked if anybody was going and nobody was going. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll just go. And then I closed the door and I was in the bathroom. And then some guy was like, hey, who the, who the hell just went in there? Did somebody just cut line? I'm going to kick that guy's ass. And I was Whoa. like, all of a sudden, I felt exactly like Eli Cash. <laughs> like, like where's the, where's the door? With the window? How am I going to get out of here? And, uh, <laughs> and then I ended up having like a 
an encounter with this person as I got out of the bathroom where he was like looking to like, I, I don't know, kick my ass for absolutely no reason. And I was able to uh, encounter my way out of it and then go to the, the, the guest or like the host of the party and be like, who is yeah. this guy? And they're like, we have no idea who he is. And then they had <laughs> wow. to kick him out. So it was he, Yeah. So he was the Eli Cash. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. But it was it was just funny being in this situation where it's like I'm completely face painted and I have a fringe jacket on and somebody wants to kick my ass. This <laughs> seems about right. Speak Man. to him in your Owen Wilson voice because you were also speaking as Owen Wilson being Eli Cash that entire night. Uh, I don't know if I spoke like that. Everybody knows that I was just trying to go to the bathroom, <laughs> but what you're presupposing is that I was doing. <laughs> Maybe I didn't. Yeah, no. Uh, I don't know if I could do that. The only thing. I the reason I did that costume that year is because one I was walking on the street one day and I saw a dog being walked by a man and I thought if I were Owen Wilson and I stole the dog and then I had to explain it to somebody I'd go I stole a dog <laughs> <laughs> and that's about as far as I can get but that's really good thanks, thanks. yeah uh, yeah so that is the Halloween that I went as Eli I Cash. Uh, last location, uh, just uh, seven streets up, or 0.7 miles up, but referred to as, I've never, I haven't gone out there in a long time. Mm -hmm. Never, doesn't have a, uh, a title. Uh, as far as I know, it doesn't have a location name. And that's the cemetery where uh, Royal's mother mm -hmm. is buried, where Chaz's wife is buried. Um, and I think... And where they bury Royal... I, and and where they yes at the end I major think. spoiler jeez well we already spoiled it <laughs> I said it earlier no but you tried to keep it you tried to keep it cool I mean look oh. if you're watching if you're watching this I don't know why you decided to watch us three idiots yeah, weirdo do the, do the locations review first <laughs> yeah that's the part of the podcast where we make funny yeah, stupid right. <laughs> why'd you do that <laughs> but uh, yeah so we went we went to the uh, it's actually the graveyard for Trinity Church. All the way downtown. Oh. Yeah. And so we cemetery. went. Cemetery. Cemetery. Sorry. I guess. Well. Graveyard yeah. specifically. One of our friends, Knox, who has worked on some Wes Anderson films, bringing it all together, uh, pointed out in one of our first episodes that we were saying graveyard for a cemetery. And a graveyard oh. is only if the graves are in the yard of the church. And the cemetery is when the graves that belong to that church are somewhere else. So anyway, you because are, Trinity Church is downtown, right. this is their cemetery, even though there is another church <laughs> right next to the cemetery, but it is not their graves, so oh. it is not their yard. <laughs> Correct. I was going to make a point, but it's just going to get even more jumbled. Okay. You did a fantastic job. You are 100% correct. Thank you, thank you. Uh, so, yes, Trinity Cemetery yeah. is up there on 153rd Street. And, and I think, sorry, yeah. I think um, because Trinity Church is this really well-known church down on Wall Street, and they, I think they moved all of their graves uptown I want to say during the cholera outbreak, which mm. was also when Queens and Brooklyn started building cemeteries. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was that, which, again, just ties to where we are in our right. outbreaks of viruses. Yeah. It made me wonder if, because they keep saying, I haven't been out there in years. Mm -hmm. And the way that they shoot it, it does make it look like it is 
not in the city. Mm -hmm. uh, it's up on a hill and you can kind of get the Palisades and the, you know, just the, the view out there, which is not Queens in Brooklyn. But I, I wondered how much of like the actual idea of what New York cemeteries is, which is to say out in the, you know, near right. Queens uh, and Brooklyn, far Brooklyn areas. I wonder how much they were trying to reference mm. that or if they just wanted to make it seem like it's not a part of the city. I wasn't sure. It does feel very Greenwood. I initially thought that until you could see the water. Good point. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, we went there and it was one of the other locations that was inaccessible to us, which was very strange because we've been yeah. walking around now for 38 weeks and all of the cemeteries have been open and in fact you know they're kind of like one of the only places where it's appropriate to be walking around during a pandemic you know you right. you can keep distance pretty easily you can enjoy outdoor space yeah. so i wonder if there's some type of politics at play because mm -hmm. in addition to that there is an interesting uh uh residents that live in the cemetery. Do you want to talk about it? Sure. Ghosts? <laughs> well, in addition to the many, many ghosts at Trinity Cemetery, <laughs> there's also... Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, keep it uh, legal. Um, That's right. There's also at least six to eight cats that live in a little cat colony in the cemetery that the groundskeepers of the cemetery and the people involved in the church apparently aren't fond of, but oh. there are people from both the neighborhood and people that are not from the neighborhood that come out and feed the cat colonies and take care of them. And we found this out because yesterday, at the, we got there at the end of the day, um, the gates were closed. We thought we were just late. Turns out they're just closed. Um, but there were a bunch of cats hanging out right near the gate and we were like this is funny we we're like looking at the cats <laughs> and we were standing there for a while and then this man behind us started talking to us and he was there to feed the cats yeah and yeah so so we learned about this whole there's this whole world i guess of people that go this guy in particular was coming from downtown to feed this cat colony, he feeds another cat colony up wow. a little bit further. I think he said up in like near Inwood, a little bit further north. And I think he said he had a third cat colony that he takes care of also uptown. So this whole like uh, environment of people that travel to take care of feral cats. Yeah. I've never heard the term cat colony before. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this guy was a character. I would say, insofar as I wouldn't expect like kind of, he seemed like kind of a conservative New York Posty type guy, but mm. had an extreme fondness for cats and making sure that they were okay. And he also had a distinct dislike for the groundskeepers because part of it was, did you, I don't think you mentioned it, they uh, back in September or something had destroyed four of the cats and he thought that it was done out of spite and not out of like any actual reason. Mm. And so he, there, there was a great deal of animosity coming from him. And, uh, but it, it seemed like it was more, you know, it was his hobby, it was his passion. He himself is trained in tagging and releasing them, which is to say, I guess he can neuter them. No, the whole I, TNR he yeah. said he's trained in. Yeah. Huh. Trap, neuter, and release. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. yeah, so it was- That's quite a hobby. Yeah, I exactly, know, right? yeah. It's, 
it was it was interesting to be able to interact with him. I'm glad he started the conversation. It, it's nice when we're out walking and people initiate and then they have like this whole crazy backstory that, you know, we would not have known otherwise. Yeah. Well, and it's also... Oh, no, I was just, you get that chapter one of the Royal Tenenbaums from each of these people. That's right, that's right. Exactly, yeah. All of a sudden, Alec Baldwin is talking somewhere. He did feel like someone that could have been a character in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so we got there Thursday. We weren't able to get in. We were hopeful that we could get in. We could not get in. We (laughs) did some filming from, like, the sides. Uh, We managed to actually capture some cat, one particular cat, that he he told us about while we were there that he has had three legs, it. and uh, the he, three-legged calico. Yeah, wow. he kept ref- when we were talking to him. He kept referencing it. He was saying, "Oh yes, there's the the black one. There's the spotted one. There's the three-legged calico. The three-legged calico usually comes to eat last. I haven't seen her yet today. I'm a little worried about her. I hope she's okay. Mm-hmm. She usually comes last because she's a little timid. But you know, this one usually comes last too. And he's here. He's here today. He's eating first. <laughs> so we like heard all about this three-legged this. calico, and then today. The three-legged calico is the only one that came to visit us. And I was so impressed by the way she could jump over. Like, there's a wall of rocks, and she could she could traverse that, like, as well as any mountain lion. <laughs> it was pretty impressive. You could tell, like, where the feral instincts were kicking in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we, we kind of walked the perimeter, got some footage. And, I you know, one great thing that it, if it hadn't been closed, we probably would not have seen – but the church that is generally within what would be considered the grounds is the Church of the Intercession. And it has this amazing cloister courtyard where it's like the vaulted, you know, uh, roofs. And uh, it, we were like walked in there to see if we could get access to the graveyards. But we ended up staying there just for a few minutes to experience it. I mean, it was like a free trip to the cloisters, you know, where, uh, hmm. you know, you could go to that museum. And it was really like not much else you would see in the city. Yeah, so yeah, it was really pleasant. I would say, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're watching this and you're actually genuinely interested in the Royal Tenenbaum's <laughs> locations, uh, going up between going to the house and going to this graveyard site, which will be reopening in the spring, by the way. Yeah. We did find out mm. uh, in a couple weeks it'll be open to, again to the public. Um, that is definitely worth your while. You'll find a lot of interesting stuff out there. Yeah, and, and then, to Ramsey too, who hasn't been up there. That's right. Not yes, only that's those right. of you who are watching. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, if you're a cat watching this, there's some free food. That's right. Over it's at the cemetery. Place. We should let the cats know for sure. Yeah, yeah. a lot. We know, you know when we go into our SEO, uh, a lot of it says that it's coming from cat colonies. That's so. right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's a uh, Meow meow dot zero one IP address. That's exactly what it is. You must know. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, we get a lot of crossover on my podcast oh. as well. <laughs> uh, I, the, yeah, go on. Go on. Oh, no, I just dangle the string all the time. <laughs> just while we're recording the podcast. They love it. Yeah. So uh, speaking of, we're going to segue the shit out of this. Oh, uh, my goodness. Tell us, tell us a little bit about your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> We uh, uh, we listened to your most recent episode this morning, and it's very entertaining. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and I'm excited to listen to more. But yeah, will uh, you will you tell us a bit about it? I would love to. Great. Uh, I was not intending to. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Taking that segue. Um, uh, it's called If You're Listening, uh, and the short version is: In high school, 
I exclusively listen to movie soundtracks, and they might be giants. Um, and Weird Al. We'll throw Weird Al in okay. there for full transparency. Um, and so my friend Heather, who is um, super immersed in the emo and punk scene, uh, decided we started a podcast in which she uh, exposes me to all the music that I missed out on. And then we also have a guest every few episodes who brings an album from their own high school experience. So we get kind of a, a wide variety of different albums. Um, and we've, we've had a lot of awesome people on. We, we've had like Paul Rust and uh, we recently had John Flansberg from They Might Be Giants on there, which oh, was wow. awesome. Huge dream come true. Yeah, I, I bet. A huge dork the whole time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, and then we do like kind of an audio commentary on the actual album in which I talk about how much I actually like it or how my ears are bleeding. Right. <laughs> I, I was I was pleased to see how frank you were about not liking the track. I mean, what <laughs> do you if do you have a sense of the ratio of like to dislike? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I feel like when we started, um, I actually I disliked it more because it was kind of foreign to me. Um... But now I've had some really awful experiences on the show of really terrible music that I don't understand why it exists that then when something that probably I would have hated early on comes up, I'm like, Oh no, this is, this is, I understand this. It's right. not for me, but like, this isn't the worst thing I've ever heard. Right. That's at the drive-in. Um, <laughs> Amazing. I actually appreciated uh, in the most recent episode you referenced, you couldn't figure it out. Uh, but Heather uh, called it out to you, the uh, the Say Anything song, uh, I Can Get Sexual too. I think, is what you, is like, is this that song? And I, I appreciated it because that reminds me so much of Geneseo. 100%. And, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, so that was a, a fun little uh, link for me, at least. Um, before we go, I wanted, one thing I wanted to ask, and I didn't ask you to prepare for this or not, but... Uh, Pop quiz. Pop quiz hotshot. Okay. <laughs> if you had to do top three uh, Wes Anderson movies, I don't think the whole discography is practical, or discography, filmography. Uh, where, what <laughs> would the top three be, and does this fall, I guess we'll find out if this movie falls in. Uh, well, you're very lucky that I was thinking about this this oh, very good. afternoon after <laughs> reassessing this movie. Um, so the number one and two slots, I think, alternate pretty frequently between Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums mm, for me. Mm -hmm. And it's I, it's just whatever way the wind's blowing, how I'm feeling at that moment. The third spot is also an alternating spot. And I'm not sure. What, let, let me just check inside real quick. <laughs> I think I'm going to go. Ooh, oh, it wasn't what I was expecting. It's going to be. <laughs> The Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, Ooh, nice. Yeah, that one's good. What What was the honorable mention? Uh, it could have, it very well could have been The Life Aquatic. Okay, yeah. 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 Um, I, I, I like, oh, go ahead. No, 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 you go. I was just gonna say, like, I think Budapest edges out slightly just because it is sort of a, it feels like peak Wes Anderson in a way, where like, no matter what, Thing I want from it, it's going to be in that particular movie. Yeah. Right. Um, Fantastic. So that's why I leaned that way. Nice. Now you. Yeah. Do you have three? <laughs> I'm hosting you... your show. Um, Please. I, I do. And then I also have a question. Well, 
Life Aquatic is my number one. Okay. Um, I also haven't seen all of them. Like, I've never seen Rushmore. How, how have you not seen? You say this every time I say it, and then it makes, <laughs> and then it, you say it in this way where you're like, I'm sure we've watched it together. And I'm like, maybe we have, but wouldn't I remember? <laughs> yeah. So I think I have to say um, Life Aquatic is number one. I would put the Grand Budapest Hotel as number two. And I would put the Royal Tenenbaums as number three. But I feel like I have to give an honorable mention to something that is not... I remember when it came out and people were like, I don't like it. And it's the one that I am forgetting the name, the the one where they're camping. It's one of the new, oh. like, the one from a couple... Oh, Moonrise Kingdom. Not new, Moonrise, actually. Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom. And I think, I think I have to give an honorable mention to that because part of the reason I didn't see a lot of these is that probably just that I'm a little bit younger than you guys. And I think maybe, like, I didn't catch these earlier ones. Okay. Or if yeah. I did, like, I didn't quite get it yet. And then right. Moonrise Kingdom came out when I... When did that come out? 2008, 2009, 2010? That sounds right. Then. So sure. that would have been when I was in college, and I think I watched that, and it was an entry into mm. the Wes Anderson world. And then I was like, this is what I want to watch more of. So not necessarily that Moonrise Kingdom is, like, what is the best movie in my opinion but i have a fondness for it because of how it brought me into right what had already happened Excellent. so that's my list nice that's a great uh, another great segue and that's what were you gonna say Tell no me. no no it was going to derail so please Fantastic. use your segue i love your segues thanks i i i guess i can't even say hate that movie because i've never <laughs> been able to finish it oh. it is so grating to me that movie uh, because it is actually it's frustrating to me it i remember that i was like when will you develop as a director i am sick of you being uh. in this mode and i can, i've i think i've tried to watch it either two or three times and i've never gotten past 15 minutes um so it's really truly an incomplete it may well change or something but it was just like it was very frustrating that it didn't do what I think the Grand Budapest Hotel did, which was finally develop another gear. And uh, so, yeah, that would be my number three is the Grand Budapest Hotel. Hmm. And uh, well, what's your one and two? My number two is the Royal Tannenbaum. So my number one is Rushmore. Oh. So uh, there you go. I mean. But did Wes Anderson, now that I'm wow. thinking about it, did he also make the dog, the animated dog movie? I was surprised he, did. he didn't bring that up. Because he's done some animated movies. But I think, yeah, oh, shoot. I did love that dog movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good movie. I almost feel like those are separate it's things. Like a different, you know, it's but, a different experience. But I can see why you might like them. Yeah. I hate to admit yeah. that. Uh, I've only seen I Love Dogs once, mm -hmm. and I fell asleep during it. Oh, I didn't want no. to. Oh, That's wow. Uh, and I need to rewatch it. it um, I've been I've brought it up several times to rewatch it, but it's it's kind of a bummer at times. So that we just like I don't want to watch that right now. It's oh, kind of sad. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched that. We I just gotten 
an oh, endoscopy. Oh, yeah, you had just gotten an endoscopy. And then, oh, and boy. The, uh, <laughs> the idea was we went and saw a double feature. We saw... Uh, At two different movie theaters, though. We yeah. went to an AMC to see the Isle of Dogs, and then we walked about 10 blocks, and we went to um, the IFC to see The Death of Stalin. Which... Oh. Have you seen The Death of Stalin? I have. Oh, boy. I love that movie. It's not... Yeah, yeah I won't get into that it. That might but, be my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Rushmore is really the biggest example of what Wes Anderson. It's like it's he's like J.D. Salinger, you know, like catcher in the rye of of filmmaking. And it, I mean, we're, you know, the same age, essentially. And that like I remember I think I, I saw I don't know if you saw it in theaters. I saw it in theaters. Uh, but I remember I saw it on Comedy Central. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yep. I mean, but that's kind of like the same type of thing. I I, I inherited so much from Comedy Central, like watching it at home. But um, just I remember being like, I'm not really sure what I saw, but I know that I really liked it because it's just <laughs> mm-hmm. a different brand of humor entirely, mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, so well paced and aesthetically like spot on. And it's it's smaller in ambition than. Uh, Royal Tannenbaums, I think, but bigger in ambition than Bottle Rocket. And like, it didn't feel, uh, Rushmore uh, felt like he was given a little more leash than Bottle Rocket. Bottle Rocket feels Mm -hmm. uh, a little like, I need to make my first film by largely the Hollywood metrics in order to get a shot at my second film and then really start running with what I believe to be my aesthetic, you know? But right. uh, but yeah, Rushmore is, is number one for me. Was that number two for you or number one for you? I've already lost track. Those I two. Think you yeah, it was back interchangeable. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I wanted to ask, uh, but I guess maybe you've already answered it by saying that you fell asleep during the Isle of Dogs and that you can't get through Moonrise Kingdom. But I am curious, like, are there least favorites since we're listing favorites? Not to be like a negative Nancy or whatever, but hey. I think by just by necessity of having to plug them all in, uh, there are least favorites. Oh, I, I guess that's true, yeah. But I I mean, I'm just, that that's not a fair answer to your question. <laughs> I think, I I think except for Isle of Dogs, just because I'm waiting for the Criterion edition, I own them all uh, and I have popped them all in at some point. I might say Bottle Rocket. That is probably mm. the one I've seen the least. I do like it and I appreciate it. Um, but I, I feel like it's just, it's not a story I'm super, uh, I'm not as interested in, and it feels a little slower. You can tell the budget's a little lower. Um, It's just not the one I I go back to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like like Bottle Rocket. I mean, I I already fully admitted that my my favorite one, or at least (laughs) favorite one's the one I can't see or can't watch. Whatever I'm saying, you know. The Moonrise. But, uh, I mean... Yeah, we're, now we're doing the whole thing. I'll do it very quickly. Uh, Life mm-hmm. Aquatic, I didn't like really oh. initially, but I, I have it's grown on me. I thought, and then uh, Darjeeling is actually kind of higher than I think it is for many people. It might be mm-hmm. four or five for me. Um, and then Moonrise, I guess Moonrise is after that. And that was so disappointing for me. Uh, somewhere, I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is between Darjeeling oh. and Moonrise. Yes. And uh, yeah. yeah, I like I I like that and Isle of Dogs, but it's very it's like this separate children's movie track that's enjoyable for adults. Um, so yeah, I think that that pretty much covers it. I'm excited for didn't did a movie just come out that he was doing? Or it's, is it? Uh, it's on the shelf. It's on the oh. shelf. Like like permanently or until COVID's oh, no. over? Just yeah, it was gonna come out. I think over the summer. Yeah, I remember it's... seeing the trailer and being like, "Oh, all right." I'm so pumped. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. and it's about like uh, 
1960s New Yorker-esque writers. Yeah. Like little short, I, sign me oh, up. Yeah, fun. totally. Yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel the Grand Budapest Hotel for me redeemed him. I was really, I don't know. I don't really have like a lot of irrational hatred for uh, <laughs> things like that typically. But for whatever reason, Moonrise Kingdom was just, it was, I guess, to really encapsulate the whole thing, we talk about how uh, Margot and, uh, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Luke Wilson, mm-hmm. uh, Richie, yeah. kind of like, you know, crystallized this aesthetic that lasted for like 10 years. It just yeah. felt like the Moonrise Kingdom was like, you're just a, a, a twee bridge too far. Like it had mm. just lasted for so long and like, come on, get with like, get with some type of times here. I can't, ex- I can't imagine that you want to make these movies anymore. Like, you know, <laughs> but I guess he had one more in him. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. He needed to do it for the college students. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. The you next generation. That's it was right. for me. That's right. <laughs> well, we need to watch Rushmore. I know. Yeah. I know. Uh, so, actually, I realized as you were talking about it, I think why you think I've seen it is because I think I've lied and said that I've seen You know how you do that? So I don't do that anymore. But you know that experience where, like, when you're just trying to, like, you're like... Like maybe with the the music yep. that you're listening to on your podcast, maybe you even did that in high school when you're just I'm like sure I did. Yes. someone's like, oh yeah, you you know that movie Rushmore, love that movie, and I'm like, yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> oh, I see from your T-shirt, you guys enjoy the corn. I also like that band. <laughs> yeah, corn. <laughs> I love corn. Do you use the little skewers? <laughs> that was a joke. Was, I knew it was a band. <laughs> My favorite song is where they explain in detail why they use K. Instead of C. <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, there's nowhere to end this. Uh, there's no segue for the conclusion of this. Uh, it's been a wonderful time talking to you. Let's do Disagree. this. Disagree. With... <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Forever. Let's do this, uh, uh, you know, sooner than 10 years from now. I agree with this. Yes. Perhaps at the Grand Prospect Hall. That's right. Ooh. Fantastic. Yeah, you can get ice cream. All right, everybody, that's it for the episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed talking it out. Uh, If you want to check out Ramsey's podcast, again, it's the If You're Listening show. It's available on Spotify and other platforms. Yeah, yeah, and it's, uh, you know, as we just said, we've listened to a bit of it. If you've enjoyed it, we will be listening to more. We hope you join us in listening to more. Also, if you like our podcast, you can click on that little like button. We'd appreciate it. You can share it. You can subscribe. You can comment. Blah, blah, blah. Do it all. We love it. We love you. Thank you. That's right. Until next time, take care. Bye. Bye.